Hello, folks. Welcome to Paranormal Roundtable. I'm your host, Josh Turner, and with me is... Oh, wait. He's not here today. It's just me, Wolf. So I'm going to do this interview with Lon Strickler. The first the first hour uh, I'm going to do with just me and him. He is my guest today. He's a very, very uh, popular Fortean researcher. He's been in the field for a long time doing a lot of stuff. But first, let me give you the email, doswolfman88 at gmail.com. Wolfman 88 at gmail.com or wolfandsal at gmail.com. Here's the thing. Sal was supposed to be here, but he's such a titty baby that he stubbed his toe and he spent two hours trying to pick out what which he, which kind of band-aid he wanted if he wanted Spider-Man or Batman. And so he chose the Lego Batman uh, band-aid. He sent me a picture of it, folks. I'm going to put it on there for you. I'm just kidding. Uh, he just he got really lost, and so we we had to go get him. So once Tony comes back with him, he'll be here for the second hour of the interview. But here's the first hour. We're going to go ahead and get started with our guest, Lon Strickler. Okay, Lon. Yeah, you've been at this a long time. You've been doing this uh, this research and writing and all the other things that you've been doing. You've been doing it for how long? Oh, I'd say about forty years now. Forty years. Wow. That's a long time. So, and and so, when did you first start in the uh, like? What what grabbed your you know to do the paranormal? What 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 got you started in this forty and? Well, I mean, from the beginning, I uh, I had some experiences as a child. Uh, I was about eight years old when I was. Uh, I lived I lived at the time near Gettysburg, and I. I, I live there again. I live in the same area again. But anyway, I used to spend a lot of time at Gettysburg Battlefield as a kid. And summers, I'd just get on my bike and ride out there and just spend time. Well, one day, I had an experience, or, uh, experience excuse me, by uh, in the area they call Death Valley, which is near the uh, wheat field, uh, Devil's Den, and Little Round Top. It's the valley in between all those areas. And, uh, for some reason I was on my bike and all of a sudden I just started experiencing things. Like I started seeing apparitions, uh, started hearing gunfire, smelling gunpowder, screams, yells, the whole nine yards. It was, um, you know, everything was going on and I was kind of, I was kind of freaked out. I mean, I, I, I knew that I had, something about me that was maybe different than other people, but I didn't really know what it, what it really was. But that day, uh, it kind of heightened my awareness of it. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been an intuitive, you know, all my life, basically. So your first experience with the paranormal was ghosts that you saw at getting, well, you know, yeah. Uh, spirit energy, uh, some type of energy, uh, residual energy. Yeah. Wow. And, and so when you were a child, did you, did you live in a haunted house? Did it, I mean, did yeah. stuff happen at your house? Nah, not didn't live in a haunted house. Um, you know, I could sense spirit energy in, in certain locations. I mean, I, I, the battlefield in particular places were, a lot of things had happened. Uh, Antietam, same thing. I used to go down to Antietam. Uh, 
but you know, other places like uh, near graveyards, uh, near cemeteries, it was difficult going to funerals as a kid. Uh, and uh, antique stores was was not very pleasant. Uh, my parents were antiquers, so you know, I kind of got drugged along these places. <laughs> And I, I kind of experienced all kinds of weird stuff. You know, it was hard for me to explain at that time. I mean, as I got older, you know, I, I, I think I kind of just put it to the side. I didn't really think much about it. Though I uh, I, I was still doing some investigations, very few. Uh, but, uh, you know, somebody would occasionally give me, a, give me a call and say, you know, I'd like for you to look at this and look at that. You know, back in the, the late 70s, you know, you didn't hear much about paranormal investigating, you know. Uh, and when they did, somebody would just raise their eyes at you and look at you like you're crazy. So, um, let alone getting you know, into cryptid investigation. So, uh, yeah, and I did that, and I still do that. I mean, I occasionally do a, uh, a spirit infestation or when I'm called in by somebody to help out with something. But, yeah. So, so you live in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and so it, for for folks at home that don't know, I mean, in case you were living under a rock or something, Gettysburg, and, and I'm going to say this: there probably are people who do not know that was the most pivotal battle in the, the war of uh, the Civil War. Lee had decided to take the war to the north, and so the defeat that the South experienced at Gettysburg was, was a brutal and decisive defeat, which pretty much led to the, to after that, the war ended up in the South culminating with Sherman and what he did in Atlanta. So not to get into a history, a dissertation about history, but that, that is a very, very important place in history and in our country's history. And so what, when you went there, the blood and emotions that, that took place, especially in those places you were naming, like I even know, like some of those places like uh, the, the Tennesseans and the Texans took a, a major, like, lost a lot of lives in that area. Yeah, second day. Yeah. yeah. So I know for a fact because I have rel- uh, uh, an ancestor that fought for Texas years ago, um, being a Texan myself. And also, you know, those places like blood and emotions saturate the environment. I know that uh, the area around the Alamo in San Antonio, when I've stayed in the hotels down there, I've felt energy, felt weird things, you know, I haven't seen anything like apparition or anything like that, but I've felt weird stuff and I've gotten people's accounts of things that have happened. Like at the Emily Morgan uh, hotel, we had kind of a little weird experience there. So I know what you're talking about. And as a child, I was kind of the same way. Hearing you talk about it kind of made me feel like I know reliving when I was in my grandparents' house, there was something in the guest bedroom that when I had to sleep there, and I could feel it. I mean, it was palpable and it would be there and it would just, it was like smothering. And so I could never sleep in that room. So I never really spent a night in that. I always end up sleeping with my grandparents, but yeah. And so you, yeah, as a child, I went through that and I was, I was mocked as a, you know, and made fun of as a kid for being scared or whatever, because I didn't want to be alone in certain places because I could feel it. And sometimes I could see it. And so, yeah, I get what you're saying about that. That's crazy. I mean, so that's how you started on this journey. But, you know, somewhere down the line, you started getting into the whole cryptid. Now, I know that you're not a typical paranormal, like a lot of people 
you know, they, they, they think of that word. They think it is just all about ghosts or spirit, whatever, but it's more Fordian. That's what you're into. Like you're a Fordian researcher. Well, it's anything. It's unexplained. Unexplained. Yeah. You're just like me. That's exactly how I feel. Like I, 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 my my show is Paranormal Roundtable, but it's anything unexplained, anything that's unusual, anything that's supernatural or out of the realm of normality, the, you know, the normal mundane life that we live every day. That's what I'm into. And that's what, you, that's what you're into. Mm-hmm. For those at home that don't know, Lon has wrote, written a lot of books and I have read most of those books and so has my wife. And so this is a real treat for me to be able to, to, uh, to interview you because I've been following your work for years and have read your books and, and, you know, and your blog and you have a show, uh, arcane radio. Right. And you interview a lot and you've been on coast to coast. You've, you've been around for a while. You've been, you've made the rounds. And so one of the things I was going to ask you and now there, Oh man, there's several, uh, questions I have, but I wanted to start with one that I've just been dying to. There was a story that I read on one of your blogs and it was about a creature uh, from the the Sierra Nevadas and it was called Penelope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that story, I don't know why, but I was, I was working, I was doing security and I've had a lot of weird stuff happen to me in my life. And I've gotten tons of people's accounts. Like I have, that's what I do. I just filled reports all the time. But that story just grabbed me, but it just really grabbed me. It's, it's, it was a scary, uh, very creepy story. Do you remember that story? Yeah, offhand. I mean, this is a phenomena that's been seen several times in the same area of the Sierra, Sierra Nevadas. Um, and, and in fact, the first time I was made aware of it, uh, after I got the report and, and contacted a, a ranger near there, he told me, well, that's not the first time it's happening. He says, people are seeing this thing. Um, I, you know, it, it's kind of similar to what people describe about a rake or a flush gate. But basically, I, I, I think that it's probably a supernatural creature uh related to a wendigo the wendigo that and see and then there's this whole debate about the rake wendigo like mm-hmm. are they the same thing yeah um, i think they are yeah I, I th- they me are. too i do too and and i've had a, i've had people like email me and actually a guy not just one but he cussed me out like <laughs> he was like they are not the same thing the wendigo has horns and i'm like okay how do you know that? I mean, because, yeah. you know, and it just, th- this guy was kind of irate about it. And he made a couple comments on one of the shows that I was on, uh, kind of down in me. And then he, he, he got, he got my email and kind of started and he bombarded me with pictures. And I'm like, okay. So me and Armando, my co-host, we, we talked about it and we were like, okay, if you take the horns off of this thing, you know, it looks like it's the Wendigo. I mean, mm-hmm. so so it's like that that the whole flesh gate, the rake, the Wendigo, it all seems to fall in the same category. Uh, I really don't know what what it is or what they are. The the, the story about the Penelope thing was the, uh, that I remember reading on your blog was that there was there was a, a dad and a son that were camping, and they heard this thing shrieking, and they looked outside, and it was like a seven foot tall, what it looked like a woman. 
with stringy hair that was yellowish white. And I, it kind of reminded me of the Baba Yaga or the hag, you know, because it was, it was female. And you, and you, you say that this has been a phenomena that's happened like many, you know, many times people have seen this park rangers. Yeah. Yeah. They, they acknowledge that they've heard about it. Uh, I've had, Oh Jesus. I think it's at least three reports that I've received, but I have talked to others who say, yeah, you know, we've heard about this Penelope and I don't know who gave it the name. You know, I think it kind of came to where someone by the name of Penelope had disappeared in the area years and years ago and that they believe it's her spirit. Well, what these guys saw this, this father and son, I don't believe that was a spirit. I, I believe it was, it was, I think it meant apparent, it was supernatural. And, uh, but I don't think it was a spirit. So, uh, you know, other, other descriptions I've heard about those things have been very similar. And, uh, you know, people have seen it while they were driving in the area. Uh, but the, the, the basic description is about the same. I was driving in that area uh, last summer. <laughs> thank, thank God I didn't see her because that would have <laughs> that would have freaked me out. Because I was driving and, and I told my wife, I said, "This is that area where that creature you know, that we read about in lawns." And she was like, "Really?" She knew exactly what I was talking about. And I said, "Yeah, this is the area." You know, it's it's a it's a it's just a very disturbing story. And folks, if you ever just check out Lon's blog. Trust me, read some of the stuff that this guy has some books too. Phantoms and Monsters, great stuff, really good stuff. Easy reads and 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 a lot of good, cool accounts. It's like it's like um, just accounts, you know. Just if you're really into that kind of just listening to the paranormal, reading about the paranormal, Lon's your guy. Believe me, He's got a lot of cool stuff, a lot of cool material. Uh, the other thing I was going to ask you, Lon, like after the whole spiritual thing that happened to you as a, as a child, what 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 happened? Any other um, paranormal experiences you've had other than that? Well, I've had two encounters over the years that kind of had me drift into the cryptid uh, cryptozoology and uh, fourteen subjects. Um, in 1981, May of 9th of 1981, I had a Bigfoot encounter. Ooh. It was it was documented by uh, Monsters and Mysteries in America back in, I think it was 2014. Well, anyway, this was, um, it was in the morning. I was fly fishing on the uh, south branch of Patapsco River, which is one mile downstream from Sykesville, Maryland. Now, this area in particular was well known for activity of a Bigfoot like creature. They called it the Sykesville monster. And, uh, you know, that, that occurred around the early seventies, well, 72 and 73 in particular, because of the, um, at that time, there was some extensive flooding in this part of the country from, uh, tropical storm Agnes. And, uh, well, anyway, the, the thinking was that this thing was showing up, you know, as a relate, as a related to all this flooding. I don't know if that's true or not. It just happened around the same time. Well, anyway, 
The uh, it was a nice day, a little breezy, about 60 degrees or so. Um, it's part of the river that I was very familiar with. And uh, I was in my waders that day, just fishing, fly fishing. And um, I was on the south bank. And I looked across and I noticed a stray breed dog. It was a pretty good sized dog going in around the weeds on that north bank. This was about 40 to 50 yards from me. And he was just weaving it out of the brush. So, you know, I wasn't really thinking much about him. So I just went back, concentrating on fishing. So after a few moments or so, I heard the dog barking and growling. I figured maybe stirred up a deer or some other wildlife. But when I looked in that direction, I noticed a dark, hairy creature bobbing up and down the thicket. So I stopped fishing, moved up a little bit, got a better look, and I noticed the dog stopped barking. And then suddenly this thing, after I heard a yelping sound, I heard I saw this thing stand up about seven to eight foot tall that had matted hair. Now I could only really see from his lower chest on up because of the weeds. But uh you know it, it you know I just stood still and I started hearing a series of ticking sounds, which I I, I didn't know what it was. I I later th uh figured that it was probably gnashing its teeth somehow. And uh I've heard later I have heard, you know, that description of the ticking sound. And uh I did notice eventually some strong musky scent, but it, it smelled kind of more like fox urine, which I was used to smelling because I used to use it when I used to go hunting for deer. Used to put it on my, my shoes, the mass scent. Anyway, I had these waders on, so I could only move, but so fast. Uh, so I just tried to keep an eye on it, and uh, this thing went to its right, my left, walked out of the weeds and stood facing me. Again, I was about 40 yards away from it, and I could tell it was a male. The genitalia was very visible. It had this, this dark matted hair all over the body, but the uh, the face and the chest was kind of sparse. I mean, the hair on the chest was sparse, but that there was no hair on the face. It was kind of a, um, a darker skin. But the one thing I did notice that this thing looked like what, we describe as a Neanderthal. It looked more human than it did ape. So it kind of looked at me for a couple seconds and then turned on a dime and started moving up into the woods. Well, I'm freaking out by this time because I had no idea what the hell I'm looking at. Of course, I, I knew about, you know, the the uh, Boggy Creek monster. That was about the time the, mo you know, the movie had been out for several years. And, you know, I knew about I heard about Bigfoot, but, you know, never thought about it being there. So I I decided to go back to my car and drive into Sykesville and to make a report to the authorities. So I I got the car, turned the, turned the car around, got down the road. And actually, I was only a mile away, so I was like a two or three minute drive to um, the nearest phone, which was actually located in a bar, at a bar, outside a bar, which was there on alongside the river. So I, I got on the phone and 
called the police. You know, I knew they thought I was crazy because I heard somebody said somebody's seen a Bigfoot down on the river. And, you know, I heard one guy laughing in the back. Well, anyway, he said, well, look, go back. Go back to the location. Somebody will meet you there. I said, okay. So I get in the car. And, you know, like I said, again, I was only like two or three minutes away. But when I got there, there was a uh, Maryland State Cruiser sitting there. And it was it was a, a uh, Howard County police officer standing there as well. And he told me, well, you got to you got to turn around and leave here. We got we got a call. And, you know, I said, well, I made the call. You know, well, OK, but you got to leave. So he chased me off. Well, I lived in the area, so I, I went up back, I went turned around and went on back home. And I just sat there for about an hour or so trying to figure out what was going on. And, you know, I had uh, I had called one of the news stations then and told them about what I saw. And they sounded interested. I had actually called later on. I had called the two other stations in Baltimore. So um, about an hour later, I, I went back to the location. And by that time, there were cars everywhere. I mean, I actually had to park like a quarter mile away from where I had the sighting and walk up the road because there were so many cars and stuff there. And when I got up there, I, I saw I saw uh, people with dogs going in and around everywhere up into the woods. They had actually had a white tent set up across the river. So I didn't know what they were doing. Um I got up to where they had tape across the road. There was a state cop standing there, and I asked him, just, what's going on? And he kind of smiled. He said, somebody saw a Bigfoot. Well, I didn't tell him it was I, I was the guy that made the, the call. So I said, yeah, okay. He said, I said, they find anything? He said, I don't know. They, they said they found some hair or something, but, you know. So I said, okay. So I stood around there and watched. I could hear helicopters uh, back then. They didn't have SUVs. They had these uh, these wagoneers, if you remember what they looked like. Uh, they were black wagoneers, so that was fed. So they had the feds, locals, and everybody there. It was a bunch of people. And, uh, you know, it was interesting. I didn't know what the hell they were, you know, was going on. But uh, I, I went ahead and went back home. I called the media. They were interested. They wanted to, you know, they wanted me to call them back. Well, actually, when I called them back a couple of days later, they didn't want to talk to me. Uh, I'm thinking, well, they got told not to report anything. And quite frankly, I had talked to a police officer who had been there, and he verified everything. In fact, he documented and wrote it down and signed it, documented everything I stated had happened. And, uh, you know, this was... Um, this got me interested in, in the phenomenon. I, I said to myself, well, you know, I'm going to investigate this. So the original Sykesville monster sightings, like I said, were back in the early 70s. And it was a, it was a neighborhood along the river, uh, African-American neighborhood. All the people that lived there were of the same two or three families. You know, they all lived on this area. And... Uh, the Baltimore Afro-American was the newspaper at the time that covered this story. And, of course, the other newspapers picked up on it. So I knew some of who some of the witnesses were. I actually worked with a few of the people that belonged to those families, and they, they 
gave me some tips on who to talk to. I actually found six more people that had not reported it who talked to me. Uh, this thing had actually broken into somebody's kitchen at one point and somebody's garage. And I was able to talk to one of those witnesses who had face to face with it. Uh, very similar to what I saw. So, you know, of course this, you know, this got my interest peaked. So at that time I started, that's when I started doing, uh, doing a lot of the crypto investigations. And at that time it was all Bigfoot mostly. You know, I'd hear a few other things, but, uh, you know, that's, that's how I got into the fortune wow. aspect. That, that's a crazy story. Okay. Lon. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Man, there's a lot of, there's a lot to that. Okay. First of all, what was the year again that this happened? 81. 81. And so the sightings of this thing were going back into the seventies and you said it looked like a Neanderthal. Yeah. Oh man, that's crazy. Yeah, if you, I, I got a picture of it. If you go to Phantoms of Monsters, and you go into the right side, right column, uh, there's a link for the, the uh, Sykesville Monster. Click it, and I had a forensic artist down in Florida, uh, retired police forensic artist, do a um, do a sketch of it, and I got a picture of it there. Wow, I think I might have seen that already before. That uh, okay, I think I have, because I've I've seen a lot of your, I've read a lot of your, man, I've read so much of your stuff, it's hard to keep track. You have a lot of material. So, one of the things I was going to ask you when you when this when this particular that that like you were a hundred percent that it 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 resembled a Neanderthal, like it wasn't like uh, some of these people say that it looks almost like more ape like, but you know for a fact that it was that it resembled a prehistoric man. Yeah, it looked more human than it did anything else. I mean, of course, it had all the hair. It was really, uh, I mean, built very strongly, very tall. So, I mean, if it wasn't like it was a human, uh, a homo sapien, it was something no. else, but it was similar. And in fact, an addendum to that story was that the reason why I believe that all these... Um, these local officials and the government got involved was that there was a sighting I found out later of the same thing down river, uh, earlier that, that day in the morning, about three or four miles down river. And the woman who had seen it made a report right away, but the government got involved somehow. So, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Baltimore and Washington, but the areas around Baltimore and Washington have a lot of unnamed, unknown facilities. And this part of the, that part of the country, I mean, there are places that people have no idea what is going on there. So I don't know if this was part of some type of experiment or something that they saw. You know, I've heard a lot of stories over the years of uh, military facilities in and around the, the Baltimore, Maryland D.C. area of all kinds of different things. I mean, people have heard about the goat man and all that kind of crazy stuff. But I, I, I have talked to a lot of people over the years that swear to God that the government is involved with Bigfoot research and that there are facilities in the country where they do have them housed. 
And I, uh, I don't know if there, this was something involved that was involved with that or not. This thing escaped somehow or, or what, but the fact that the government got so interested in it and then employed the, uh, the locals to look for this thing, that just seems unusual. You know, for those uh, of, of you that are listening at home, this is a, <laughs> this is a crazy story. Wow. Okay. There's going to be a ton of questions here. So you're, you're telling me that you think that this is that the government actually may house these things like, and, and that that's maybe what, I mean, you're not saying a hundred percent, but that's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff that I've heard over the years, I believe it's entirely possible that that may have happened. Uh, I, I, I talked to several military guys who had happened to have been stationed at the at Edgewood and the uh, some of the uh, military facilities north of Baltimore uh, in Hartford County, and. Uh, he described to me some very unbelievable incidents that he saw that involved the possibility possibility that some type of um, Bigfoot like creature or something similar that was housed there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we had no idea really what the government is involved with. Uh, you know, there've been, there've been people talking for years about these, these particular areas like Dulcie and other places out West. And, uh, also during the, uh, the Mount St. Helens eruption. Oh yeah. Where all these Bigfoot bodies were supposedly found and transported out of there. So, I mean, there've been a lot of rumors about that and, you know, uh, there's no real substantiated evidence about it, but, uh, you know, there's been enough anecdotal evidence to get you thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Now, Lon, the, wow, that, that brings up a whole nother, the whole Mount St. Helens, let's start with that. That Mount St. Helens thing, that is crazy. I have heard so many reports and stories about that. Nobody has given me any, like, in particular, but I've read um, a lot of reports out of the Mount St. Helens eruption that there were Bigfoot that were coming out of the, out, out of the, the area of the mountains. What are the, some of the things that you've heard about that? Like in particular, well, you know, there was, there was one particular story that was going around for years that one individual had seen three bodies that were charred and that were actually airlifted out of the area at one point. Uh, I talked to another individual who had actually been about 12 miles from the eruption and, uh, he had seen two run out of the, towards his, his direction from the forest. And you know, you hear all kinds of stuff. And I, I, be honest with you, I, I all I got is anecdotal evidence as well, but it makes you start thinking and, uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's true or not. You know, there have been people who have tried to debunk that for years. Although they try to debunk course, anything. Uh, yeah, but the government, you know, of course the government's not going to come out and really say much. But, you know, I, I, I do believe wholeheartedly that the United States government has been involved with the 
the Bigfoot phenomenon from for a very long time. What do you think about the? And then you touched on something else that's always been very fascinating to me and most people that that are listening at home. Uh, if you look this up and research it, it's very incredible. The Dulce, mm-hmm. yeah, the Dulce uh, files when they talk about um, the things that went on or have gone on there. Fascinating. The Dulce is a base that's supposedly out. I think I think it's in New Mexico. Dulce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah northern, and New Mexico. northern New Mexico, and and what what that is, folks, is there's an underground base. This is alleged. Okay, me and Lon here aren't saying this is a hundred percent, but it's allegedly true that, that that there's a base there, and that this is where they keep many different types of cryptids. Supposedly, there's uh, aliens there that are running the place, or working with the government, and, and, and in tandem. Um, the, the, the theories are that they're reptilians that are in charge, that are in control. You know, it's, it's a very, very weird, uh, I believe there was a cop that was like involved in like, uh, trying to expose it or something like that. A highway patrolman, if I'm not. Yeah, he was a, um, he was a local, uh, excuse me, a local, um, chief of the police. Uh, the area actually is on a reservation Mm -hmm. and, um. Now, he has since died. He didn't die too long ago, but he wrote a book about it. Um, you know, I've I've gotten bits and pieces over the years from people that have seen certain things. and A lot of locals have seen a lot of UFO activity coming around that, that mesa. It's called the Archuleta Mesa. That's the area in which this supposed underground facility is located. Oh, yeah. And, and of course, there, there, there have been so-called whistleblowers that have at, at some point come out and talked about it. Um, you know, I don't, I, it, it, you know, it's, it sounds really crazy for, in one, one sense of it, but, uh, you know, I have heard so many things over the years. It, it just may, it makes you think, uh, you know, the fact that, um, the government may be involved and not only our government, but, you know, I think government's, have been involved with this, um, with cooperation with otherworldly beings. I think that's been going on for a while. Long time. I know yeah. Eisenhower was rumored to have been like one of the key players in, in, in fomenting a, a, an alliance with the, with the aliens. That's, and that's something, do you discuss that in your book? Because that's the only book I think that I have not read of yours is the alien disclosure. Yeah, uh, that's my newest book. No, I haven't. I haven't touched on that. Basically, what I've, I've described in that book are experiences, uh, actual um, encounters. Mm. I haven't gone too deep into the the government involvement. There, there are some things there where you kind of, you know, in, you know, imply that are, are government related, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and I, I think, if, you know, if people talk about disclosure. I, I think you, the our best, the best way for us to uh, get information about otherworldly beings isn't going to be something that comes from the government. It's going to, we're going to have to actually investigate the experiencers and kind of give them the benefit of the doubt, at least at first. And then go from there because um, 
I, I've been involved with several cases that have lasted for a long time. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been fortunate enough to be able to be part of these people's experience and to see some of the evidence they provided to me. Uh, a lot of it, quite frankly, and, and I'm not afraid to say, I'm not going to disclose. You know, I, there have been a lot more that I had disclosed in this book. But for many years, I kept a lot of it quiet because, frankly, I didn't, didn't want uh, to kind of raise a, too much of a stir about some of the things that have been disclosed to me. Uh, it, it does involve uh, individuals being abducted and disposed of and, and stories like that. Uh, I do talk about the Todd Cease case in there, individual who was supposedly abducted, and I do believe was abducted, and found dead a day and a half later. Uh, that happened here in Pennsylvania. Uh, there are other experiences, people that had disappeared. Um, David Eckhart, in particular, who hasn't disappeared, he's still very much alive and on this earth. But he has been uh, he's been experiencing encounters in his his home for the past uh, 15 years or so. And uh, he's been uh, able to get some very interesting photographs and, uh, you know, has told me a lot of things in, over the years. I mean, like I said, I did disclose some of it in the book, but some of it, quite frankly, I just don't think is ready for publication as of yet. I think that's very – I'm going to say something here. I think that's very intelligent of you to not – because you know as well as I do that there are certain lines that have to be respected, I guess, because we're just peons and, you know, these this government will just, you know. I have been visited by government officials in the past. I believe it. And, um, it. you know – the last one, the last time I was confronted, uh, I was, <laughs> they, they actually, they scared me enough to stop the, the certain, the actual investigation I was involved with. Uh, I, I got people I work with who, who can verify what had happened. And, uh, you know, I just, I just backed off. Yeah. That's crazy. And I guess I don't even want to ask what it was because... <laughs> I don't want to get visited by the government either. I got enough problems. So, yeah, that that's crazy. It, it, the whole th but I want to say something about that whole Dulce thing. It just uh -huh. that that scares the crap out of me because from what I've read and what I've heard is that they've had they have like people and this is this, you know, that they're that they were in cages and they use them as experiment. They're like if you were to get like grabbed and taken to a place like that, abandon all hope you're done i mean nobody will ever find you nobody will ever know and you could be fed to a dog man <laughs> i mean some of the story i mean i'm just saying some of the stories i've yeah. heard were just pretty fantastical now me and sal actually had a young lady talk to us about something similar to that um that she knew somebody that had had that experience like not necessarily dulce but that they that her she believed that her friend had been taken you know and this stuff had been done yeah mm -hmm. i don't we can't i can't say that it's it's 100% true There's, you know that people can tell you and they can just be real sincere 
And you can think that, hey, man, this person's just being completely honest. But, you know, people are going to say things and they're going to whatever. You and I are kind of in the business of just taking the stories and we relay the stories. And, you know, you do your research, we do our research, whatever. But in the end, at the end of the day, we can't be 100%. I mean, this is not an exact science. And there are so many so-called experts that are just like, I'm an expert in Dogman. I'm an expert in Bigfoot. I'm an expert in ghosts. There, there are no experts, experts in, in this any field. Of this. Exactly. I, I'm going to tell you, you know, I, I that just that's something that just bugs the hell out of me mm -hmm. when I start hearing people calling others experts. There are no experts in this. Nothing. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can investigate. I mean, I set up I set up a 14 research team several years ago, and uh, we do look into certain phenomena. Uh, in particular, stuff that happens here in Pennsylvania. But I have been spreading it out. That started when all this stuff in Chicago started going on with the, the winged humanoids out there. So I started expanding the team to start investigating that since I was getting the calls from the people out there. Uh, and so we're spreading into other states now. Yeah, the whole – do you want to talk about that? That's another interesting um, – the winged phenomena that was going on in Chicago. Well, yeah, this is something actually that – you know, first of all, the Il the northern Illinois, central northern Illinois area has been well known for uh, winged beings, uh, thunderbirds, pterosaurs, the whole nine yards. It's been a lot of – there's been a lot of stuff reported out there for many, many years, and in fact – this goes back to the the native uh, the native tribes that inhabited that area. There were a lot of different types of winged beings that they considered gods or some type of demon some of some type. But this phenomena with the winged humanoids began, I mean, in the Chicago area, actually began in 2011. Now there have been a few reports scattered before that but in 2011 in, in the end of in the, in the end of summer there were three sightings of a being that had these uh these bat-like wings and there was actually a photograph taken as well of one of these things in the air but uh you know people were describing something that was dark in color humanoid uh kind of thin-bodied that had these uh, winged, these bat-like wings. And, uh, you know, they, they weren't very specific on the size of the wings, though they were quite large, and that this thing had like a humanoid aspect to it. Well, you know, th those sightings in 2011 kind of stirred people's interest, and they were, you know, people wondered what it was, but, you know, it there was nothing, nothing else reported until of course the end of beginning of 2017 these uh there were several reports that were given to MUFON and uh we started noticing these reports at MUFON MUFON wasn't doing any investigation they were taking the reports putting it up on the CMS but they weren't talking to anybody so the guy I worked with out in Chicago who I've been working with for for a while, uh, his website is uh, UFO Clearinghouse, a man by the name of Manuel Navarrete. 
And for over the years, Manuel has shared a lot of this stuff with me, a lot of the reports he's gotten, the weird reports, uh, not just UFOs. But he, he told me about this first sighting that was uh, reported at MUFON that occurred in Oz Park, where this, this woman who was an attorney was walking her dog at night and came across this, this tall, red-eyed being with huge wings that was standing in the park. And not long after she saw it, the thing just jettisoned in the air with these huge wings. Uh, didn't flap the wings, just took off like a rocket. And the red eyes. So you know, that description, the wings weren't very well described, but it was we were we were under the impression that it was it was more like a um, like a wing of that that was similar to the Mothman sighting in in Point Pleasant. The wings themselves extended above the body; they were quite large. So uh, that's the kind of take we have initially had. So not long after that, there were a couple more reports coming in to MUFON of these uh, these owl-like creatures. The red eyes, same thing, but the wings looked like that of an owl. And uh, we received two two more of those. And by that time, I started... Then I started soliciting for sightings. I was getting inter interested in what was going on. You know, I remember what happened in 2011. So I wanted to get in and find out any actual reports that weren't coming into MUFON where I could actually talk to the people. Because if, if MUFON puts a report out, you're not getting any the contact information. Now, Manuel was fortunate enough to find out who... The woman was who saw the, uh, the who saw this thing in the Oz Park, and uh, he talked to her. But a couple of these other witnesses, we were never able to get a hold of. And by that time, Mufon was was realizing that we were soliciting reports from people. So of course they got interested because they really didn't want us looking into it. I don't think. Well, anyway, I started getting reports. Manuel got a couple. I started getting them. And, you know, this was this was getting crazy because by the time uh, the first couple of months, I think we were up to like 25 reports. And by the time we got around to October of 2017, we were up to around 55. Now, by all this all this time i you know i started going on shows and talking about this phenomena i hadn't written a book yet uh i had been getting all kinds of reports day and night i mean i wasn't sleeping well for about and during especially during january i mean excuse me during july and august because i literally had 20 to 25 people per day all day day and night calling me about this thing wanting to know if it was a harbinger or something that was going to happen in chicago you know, people go back to the, the Point Pleasant thing where, you know, they, you know, the Silver Bridge and, you know, the Mothman being a harbinger, which, you know, I, I totally discount that because, um, you know, you, you had a small town where 46 people died during a collapsed bridge. 
And they're going to start making, trying to find excuses why that happened. And I think the Mothman sightings were a perfect excuse. So, uh, you know, I've heard over the years different supposed sightings of, you know, uh, winged beings previous to uh, disasters. Uh, I've only ever found one that I could that could possibly tie the you know the, the, Ch- the Chernobyl uh, meltdown was probably the only one that I there was some credence to it because people did report a a a wing being above the facility prior to the, the meltdown and uh, they were calling it the black blackbird of Chernobyl so but anyway so this there- uh, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That is very fascinating what you're talking about. Uh, so this, there was a black bird sighted before the Chernobyl meltdown. Yeah, there were a couple sightings of this. Oh thing. my gosh, I never knew that. I never yeah. knew that. I just watched that on HBO, and I told about Chernobyl. It is some scary stuff, dude. I'll tell you right yeah. now. Yeah, that was actually documented. Uh, there, there were reports. Uh, you know, much of it didn't come out until after you know the Soviet Union dissolved, but some of the reports started trickling out. So uh, there was something seen. Well, anyway, you know, there there have been a lot of people reporting a lot of sightings like that before disasters, but I, quite frankly, haven't really found anything that sticks. Now, I I did have a report from an older woman who stated to me that her father and a couple of miners had seen this, this wing being before a train uh, explosion in West Virginia, and I forget the year, but it was back in the 30s or 40s, I think. Uh, you know, all I have is evidence from the witness. That's all I've got. Uh, there was the McDuff train disaster, and it was that near a coal mine. Well, anyway, I, I yeah, there there may be something to that. I don't know. The fact that it was in West Virginia kind of, you know kind of adds a little to it but then again i don't really buy into the harbinger theory with point pleasant as well well anyway this i had people calling me all the time wondering if something's going to happen in chicago of course i'm telling them you know not to worry and you know no hoping to god nothing does happen but you know well something so bad. i try to dispel that as much as possible go ahead uh, I'm sorry. Bad stuff happens in Chicago all the time. It's a major city. So, I mean, yeah. you could say all the, the the killings and things that go on in that major city could be attributed to that. And I, I'm wondering if maybe there is something to the whole uh, disaster thing. Maybe these things are attracted to the negative energy of these places. Be, you know, that's possible. You know, th- th- this, this being in, in itself, I believe is supernatural. I You know, I think it's flesh and blood. I really do think it's actual flesh and blood, but I don't think it's of this this realm. I think it's some type of interdimensional. Interdimensional, being. yeah, exactly. That's uh, exactly you know, what I think. I um, I don't think it was one. I think there was at least three of them during this flap in 2017. And you know, we're still getting sightings. You know, we're getting sightings from all over the Chicago area up into southern Wisconsin down into Indiana and into uh, Illinois. Right now we're at 35, 30, excuse me, 85 or 85 sightings that we believe there's some credence. There's actual, there's actually happened. You know, there've been a lot that we've discounted, but I, those, I do believe something actually happened. And in fact, I'm, I'm working on one right now, trying to get to talk to the witness 
in an area in a location just north of Chicago. And we had a sighting last week near uh, O'Hare Airport by a cat, a, a guy driving an Uber car. And his encounter was really freaky. So um, I, I believe he he actually had something. He actually encountered something. So, yeah, this is still going on. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a strange phenomenon. We, we really don't know what it is. But hopefully we're going to be able to get that report to where we can kind of tie it all in. But uh, at this point now, I, I do believe it's a uh, it's flesh and blood, but I think it's probably most likely interdimensional. That you know that about the mounds, right? Cahokia, uh-huh. Cahokia. Uh-huh. I wonder if there is any if there's a tie-in to that. Any any sort oh, of could be. You know, that's that's weird because like you there's hear, a lot of spring, you know this mound, uh, these mounds that people. I mean, that have been, you know, that are actually in like in uh, Missouri and Southern Illinois and West Virginia, Ohio. I mean, you know, it, or is this phenomena related to the Native American, first Americans? Possible, you know, but, you know, at this point, we just don't have the evidence to support that. Yeah, that's crazy. Man, oh man, a lot of good, a lot of good information, Lon. I'm going to tell you right now, you're a fountain of wealth of information. Okay, folks, that's all the time we have for today with Lon Strickler. We're going to be back next week with uh, more more discussion with him, and Armando will actually be here to uh, be a part of it and to annoy everyone. Uh, so, yeah, so what we're going to do this next one, we're going to talk some somebody some of everybody's favorite cryptid, Dogman, that's we're going to talk about. So you be there, or we're not friends anymore. Don't talk to me. We're done. We're done. <laughs>